Welcome, um, welcome to St. Basil's, those of you that are, um, those of you that are visiting. Um, I'm Bex, I'm married to Johnny, and we've got a little seven-month-old girl who will be wriggling around somewhere. Um, Johnny's got a strict rule in our family that when you're on holiday, you don't go to church. So those of you that are here, I'm so impressed, <laughs> and uh, shame on us, really. But um, it's so nice to, um, to be here. We've been a part of the St. Basil's family um, over a year now, kind of since last May. I actually think the first Sunday that we were here just so happened to be the first Sunday that St. Basil's was in person rather than on Zoom. So we kind of luckily missed out on the tough period of doing church on Zoom and then rocked up and it was really fun and on a barn. So, um, so yeah, it's really good to, to be here with you. Um, we, the other day, you know, like the, the first week of the heat wave, um, where I was just so overexcited. I'm born and bred London. So the idea of being in hot weather and having a beach just down the road, Johnny finished work and we were straight at Budley pretty much every day for a week. And it was on one of those car journeys. Um, you know, there's loads of roundabouts to get to Budley. I don't know if you can picture it's just constant roundabouts. And you've kind of got a grass bank on either side of the road, no real pavements. Um, and we were just driving back on one of our beach trips. And out of the corner of my eye, I just see this like old man um, with a walking stick, kind of looking like a, maybe a little bit wobbly on his feet. I don't know. But he was like walking on the grass bank towards a roundabout and I was like it just doesn't quite make sense where he's going but during me kind of noticing this guy um Johnny was like oh have you chosen your parable for St Basil's and I was like yeah no I actually have I kid you not I was like yeah yeah no I really have um I've, I've gone for the good Samaritan Jonah actually recently spoke about it at prison when I was there with him I loved it so yeah I'm going to do the good Samaritan Jake can you can you see that guy like do you think he's fine why is he like walking on a bank and like um, that's so weird do you think it's weird? He's like, oh yeah, maybe. Do you want to pull over? And I was like, oh no, no, don't worry. Sorry, I was just saying if you think it's weird. And then there was just this moment and Johnny was like, so how's your talk prep coming? <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, okay. That's, um, that's quite humbling. So I I cannot stand here more humbled um, than I possibly can be talking to you about the Good Samaritan because each time I've just managed to grab a little pocket of time to think about this parable, I honestly am like coming face to face with my own mess, basically. So um, I'm actually just inviting you to ask the Holy Spirit, not necessarily to reveal your mess, but just to really speak to you. Because this parable for me, I've kind of grown up with it. Some of you may be familiar with it, some of you may not. But it was like the Good Samaritan, oh yeah, he stops, he helps him, and then he gets him on the donkey, and we should all be like the Good Samaritan. I promise you that's the only thing that I'd really thought about this parable. And the more that I've like done research and really thought about it and just got these pockets of time to really live with some of the characters in this story, I honestly am like, oh, oh my goodness, there's such transformation that the Holy Spirit wants for me, definitely, but I reckon as well, probably for us all here as well. Um, so how we're going to do it is there's four characters that we're going to kind of zoom in on. Two are kind of actually bunched together. We've got the religious expert who we meet first. Um, then we've got the Levite and the priest. I'm kind of coupling them together. Um, and then we've, we're going to land looking at the victim, the guy who was on the side of the road. Um, and all the while, there will be kind of following this theme. Those of you that were here last year as part of our church family, we were talking about like the descending life and the upside down kingdom of God and how when you think it's going to be one thing, Jesus actually shows you it's the complete opposite. And that's really something that I've taken away from this parable. It's just how upside down Jesus's response and answer to living a kingdom-filled life actually is. 
So we'll look at the four characters, look at this upside down thing that Jesus really throws at us. Um, and just for context of the broader thing, the Greek, I love doing this, the Greek for the word neighbor is someone who is near. So there's a physicality, there's a closeness. It's not like your neighbor that we might understand of like, oh yeah, they kind of just live next door, but they're in like a whole separate world to us. Neighbor is like up close. Um, and that's kind of the understanding of um, the word neighbor in this passage. So should we read it? Um, it's Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I actually don't know what number that is in the black Bibles that you might have dotted around um, in terms of page number. But Luke chapter 10, 25. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. How's the microphone? Is it okay? It sounded a bit funny at the beginning, but I think it's okay. Um, Okay. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Go and do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. How many of you are kind of familiar? Should we swap? Is that better? Oh yeah, that feels better. How many of you are familiar with that parable? Just a quick show of hands. Okay, so a few. Nice. Um, let's launch in then to the first character that really stood out to me in this, um, in this parable. And that's the, the religious expert that is actually asking Jesus this question. Now, it says that he's an expert in the law. That's not how we understand a lawyer. He wasn't a lawyer or a barrister. That's, that's not... Um, That's not kind of our definition of what it means to be an expert in the law. He was an expert in like religious law, in the Torah. So I was so intrigued by the fact that this guy who he is an expert, he probably wanted to show off like, you know, I'm a professor. I'm brilliant. I have so much theology. I know everything that there is to know about the Torah. I live and breathe this stuff. I'm the best that you'll find. And he was asking Jesus a question. Already, that really shocked me. Why would this guy want to come across and look, to be honest, quite stupid? Like, eternal life, that's 
pretty fundamental. So if you're an expert in the law, you're an expert in those first five books of the Bible, you know the answer. So why is he asking Jesus, like, oh, Jesus, just quick question. I'm the expert, but how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus knows this. He says, you're the expert. How do you read it? And the guy shows off his knowledge by quoting um, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, where he's saying, love the Lord your God with all of your mind, your strength, your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus is so keen to not like rile him and not ruffle his feathers. And he's like, yeah, exactly. Well done. You know it. So why did this, why did this man ask this question in the first place? I find that so bizarre. Do you ever, I don't know if when you were younger, me and Johnny were talking about this the other day, when you were in a really bad mood and your parents said to you, Bex, don't smile, don't smile. And you're like, and it's like so infuriating. They're like, don't do it. Don't smile. And Johnny, apparently it worked really well. And every time Johnny was in a mood and his parents would say, Johnny, don't smile. I'd be like, okay, fine. Ha ha, funny. Let's move on. Classic Johnny. Just so easy to move on from things. When my parents said that to me, oh my goodness, it would go from like five to a hundred. Like, don't you dare make me smile. And I was like so angry and cross that anyone could like take away the anger that I felt in that moment. I think that's what this guy is doing. It's like, no, don't, don't make me be right. I want to get you. I want to trap you. I want you, Jesus, to say something heretical. He wanted to kind of make Jesus look like the fool rather than himself. I don't actually think that was ever his intention because there was no doubt he knew the answer. So Jesus is saying, yeah, exactly. Go and do exactly what you've just said. And that's how you inherit eternal life. But he couldn't sit with it. And do you notice when he's like, but he wanted to test him. And so he he goes again. It's like, no, I will not be settled by the answer. Let me go again. Who is my neighbor? And that is actually the question that he probably wanted to ask all the way at the beginning, because that question is revealing the heart of this man. Who is my neighbor? There's a guy just to help understand why that question is so significant and why it offers such transformation for us. There's a guy called Edward Hall. Um, the people in the Bible Project talk a lot about him. If you don't know the Bible Project, I so recommend it. They're amazing and they unpack Bible stories and kind of geek out on it and I love it. Um, anyway, they talk about this guy called Edward Hall who was an American kind of professor. He taught at um, Harvard and Colorado and he died kind of relatively recently. He died in 2009. And his whole, um, I guess, area of expertise was um, like people and culture and how cultural differences are impacted by physical space. Um, I love him because he asks some of those questions that I could happily sit and mull over for hours. Whereas if I talk to anyone else, maybe slightly more normal, they don't really get it. So he has questions like, what's your attitude towards time? I'm like, oh, such a nice question. Or it would be like, how does being in an urban space in a kind of smaller building, how does that impact how comfortable you are with someone being close to you? And I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, like when I'm on a tube, I'm totally okay with the fact that someone's really here. But if we were just standing in the barn, like really close, I'd be like, that's so weird. That's such a good question. So anyway, I love his stuff. His, um, he's kind of called his research proxemic studies. Um, and he's the one that coined the phrase personal space. So you'll, you'll, know of, you'll know of his work, even if you don't actually know who he is. Um, anyway, he basically has got this kind of um, concept that we live within a, a kind of growing circle of four invisible boundaries. And that as a culture, we work very, very hard to maintain those four invisible boundaries. 
So if you want to just get your hand and put it right up in front of your nose, like literally that far away from your nose. Yep, lovely. Okay, good. This is what he would call your intimate space. This is your intimate space. So you draw like a a line all the way around your face. That is your intimate space. You can put your hands down. (laughs) You'll just be staring at me like this the whole time. Um, Your intimate space. It's the most personal and we are the most acutely aware of what or who is in your intimate space. Now, should a dog ever be in your intimate space? Don't know. Discuss. Me? No. Never. But my friend, um, ongoing discussion, she shares her cups of tea with her dog. It's like all on her face. I'm like, bah. So I'm working very hard to maintain that a dog or an animal of any kind shouldn't be. But you guys may be way more kind to animals than I am. So anyway, so you've got your first thing, which is your intimate space. We're the most acutely aware. And we physically react if something goes wrong in our intimate space, right? You know, when you're kind of going in for a hug or a kiss, you don't really know like what's happening. And it's like a physical reaction. Edward Hall studies that physical reaction. Why do we react to something? All they're doing is just being like close, but, but it's a physical reaction. Something happens within us. And so our intimate space, you'll know the people that you're totally comfortable. You're allowed in my intimate space. And then it's also quite clear who isn't. Second one out is your personal space. That's probably what we're quite familiar with, right? Like, don't invade my personal space. Um, and again, there are different contexts in your life where if someone is in your personal space, that's okay. If you're in a car and you're sat next to someone, that's fine. You're in my personal space. It's kind of like a foot around you. Um, but then maybe a stranger or someone that you haven't invited in. It's like, oh, who's this in my personal space? And it kind of feels like it's a bit much. Third level out is your um, social space. And that's kind of like within a room. So it's who have I invited into my room? You might picture your house or your kitchen. Who's in my room? I'm aware of who's there usually because I'm the one who's invited them in. I know that they are there. They're in my social space. It's kind of who's in my immediate surroundings. I'm aware of them and I'm comfortable with them because I've invited them in. And then your fourth one is the public space. You've got no control, really, over who you might pass on the side of the road or who you're driving past in a car. But it's your fourth layer out is your public space. And we're kind of the least concerned about what's going on there. Coming back then to the religious expert, what he's saying to Jesus, what he's asking Jesus when he's saying, who is my neighbor, reveals his whole outlook on humanity and on our kind of personhood of who should I allow in to my personal space or my social space? There are people that I maybe shouldn't and there are people that I should. Who should I allow in? Who's in the category of in? You can come near me. You can come and cross my boundaries. And who am I keeping out? You might also want to translate that. Who do I have to love? Remembering that neighbor is coming close. Who do I have to love that I'm okay? I'm in control of my social space and I'm okay with you coming into my social space. I'm okay with you coming into my personal space. Jesus, who do I have to let in and who can I keep out? Do you see that question that actually is so, I'm like, oh, I think I ask that all the time. Jesus, who do I have to do this to? Who do I have to love? Who do I have to let cross the invisible boundaries that otherwise I work quite hard to maintain and keep how they are? And Jesus actually exacerbates that that's really the question that this guy is asking. Because when he starts talking about um, the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan story, the first two characters that he references, and we're just moving in now to looking at that second group of people, the Levite and the priest. As soon as Jesus will have mentioned their name, the guy, the, the guy who's asking Jesus, the one who's questioning him, as soon as Jesus will have said, well, there was a priest and there was a Levite, 
it's like, oh, comfort zone. I know them. I kind of agree with what they're saying. Totally on board with them. It's the equivalent now of saying like, I don't know, a Catholic priest and a Church of England vicar. It's like, oh yeah, like I know them. I totally know what they do. I'm familiar with them. I respect them. And so when Jesus quotes those two, it's almost lulled into a false sense of comfort zone. Um, But then what happens is that Jesus talks about these two And this is just the part of the story that just like, oh, gets me so much. Because these two, there was a rule and a law in the Bible where you you shouldn't touch a dead body like a corpse. Um, They were so concerned about, you know, cleanliness and purity. And Jesus spoke a lot about what comes into the body and what you can touch and what you can't. And that was so normal for them to really be prioritizing. Effectively, don't defile me. Don't make me any less. So when there's a, a kind of half-dead man on the side of the road and these two walk past, for, for lots listening, that's okay. Of course they'd walk past. That's what the law said. That's what you had to do. Imagine if they touched the body. Oh, my gosh, no, that would be awful. But, but what I um, realized and learned is that in the Torah, there's an exception to this law um, where you're not defiled, you're kept clean in the eyes of God if the corpse is abandoned. It's the only time that you can touch a corpse and you're still fine if the corpse is abandoned. I don't know why I find this so emotional, but these guys, they're wanting to do the right thing, the Levite and the priest. They're like, I'm going to stick by the law. I'm going to do the right thing. But they had an option. They had an option to go to the man who actually turned out to be alive. He wasn't even a corpse, but he had the option to go to the corpse, to draw near to him, to cross every single boundary. They had the option to do that and still be okay in the eyes of the law, and they didn't. And for me, I relate so much to anyone in the Bible that is like, tell me what to do and tell me what the right thing is and tell me how I'm going to be okay in the eyes of God and tell me what to do so that God's proud of me and I'll do it. Like, I, I so relate. The old brother, I'm like, yes. The, per- the disciples, when they were um, questioning Jesus, when he poured, that lady poured the perfume on Jesus' feet, and they were like, hi, that's a bit of a waste. That could have gone somewhere else. I'm like, yes, good point. These people, it's like, well, no, because that would make me unclean, and I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm not. Like, I so get it. I so get it. And so can you imagine how challenged and annoyed and like, oh, I felt so convicted by the Holy Spirit when in my research, it's like, there was an option. There was an option where you still would have been okay. You could have gone to the man and you didn't. And for me, that's like mic drop moment. Oh my goodness. When do I miss the option? When do I miss the challenge of God? When do I miss the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Because me being so concerned about doing the right thing and following a kind of in out, who do I need to love? Who do I not? Who's in, who's out? When do I miss the whole essence of what the Holy Spirit actually wants to do and to say and to be in and through me? Because I'm so I'm so blinded by me wanting to make sure that I feel like I'm doing the right thing. They had an option and they missed it. So then what happens? Well, um, Jesus is basically saying, I see people differently. There's no option of who's in and who's out. Who do I have to love and who do I not have to love? There's no kind of concept of, oh, yeah, do that. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Ignore that person because otherwise you might miss out on your own goodness. Or, yeah, I'll judge you if you do it. Yeah, so good point. Jesus is saying, 
I see the world completely differently. I see this situation completely differently. And he uses a Samaritan to really make his point. Now, some of you may be familiar with why the the Samaritan, kind of being the hero of the story, was so punchy back then. Um, Not only have these listeners, who were the ones questioning Jesus, not only are the the Levite and the priest, who they thought were like, yes, they're there, they're going to like really make me proud. They actually really didn't. Then Jesus uses the hero as, um, as a Samaritan. And basically the context of the listeners, the Jewish listeners at the time, I have to get this right because I really had to like understand it. It's all about like, it's like a game of risk. You know, that board game that I just avoid at all costs and like different like empires break up and then weird things happen. And blah. so basically my understanding is that um, the, the kind of the whole land split in their own history, their, or, or the whole land split. And the Jews um, were, sorry, the Israelites were intermarried with the Assyrians. Assyrians were kind of bad, effectively, because they came in and kind of took over. So then there was a big division, a big split. And so the Samaritans are the race that were kind of the offspring of this intermarrying that happened. So again, for a context that's so concerned about cleanliness and purity and everything kind of being exactly how it should, um, the, the Samaritans were the group of people that they would do anything possible to avoid. They would add on hours to a journey just to avoid having to go through Samaria. I really don't know where that is. So I was going to draw like, you know, they avoid it. And I'm like, I've got no idea. But anyway, they would really put a lot of time and effort into making sure they go nowhere near these people. And, and they would, in, in those days, they would be completely like, don't come near me. Um, and it's interesting, the Samaritans are actually quite a theme throughout the Bible or throughout the Gospels with Jesus. Um, he was talking to a Samaritan woman for ages, and one of the lepers that he healed was a Samaritan. So it's a really interesting kind of theme that keeps popping up, and every time hearing about the Samaritans would have been like a, like a trigger to, to the people that Jesus was hanging out with. Um, anyway, so, so a Samaritan, the fact that this is even in the story as, as a hero or as someone that Jesus is going to use to exemplify what he would want someone to do in this situation is incredible. And the Samaritan, uh, he, he does the most extraordinary thing because the Samaritan comes alongside this victim on the side of the road. And do you remember how we were talking about the four kind of invisible boundaries? In order to pick someone up and put them onto your donkey, that's the intimate space right? This man is like covered in blood, half dead. And, and in doing that, the Samaritan picks him up and he lets him into the closest part of what we would kind of try and maintain and like try and keep our individuality. He, he literally scoops him up. I'm picturing there's like dirt. He's been on the side of the road. I don't know how long he's been there for. I don't know if he smells. I don't know what this guy's situation is, but the Samaritan says, I'm going to come the closest possible to you and it's so interesting to me that in his proximity, in the closeness of, this, of these two people, it says in the Bible it, that he had pity on him. Or another word that you could use is compassion, like an extension of concern, an extension of pity. But that that comes hand in hand with a nearness, a closeness. It's like the neighbor, the Greek word of neighbor of like who is close, that, that is partnered with compassion and pity. And it's quite hard to do that. It's quite hard to convince, oh yeah, I was so compassionate. I, was, I had so much pity on that robber, as, sorry, on that victim as I walked past. 
so it doesn't, that just actually doesn't really work, does it? Because maybe the Levite really did feel, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for you. This is awful. Ah, and just kept walking on. Maybe the priest was like, oh God, like really help this man, really heal him. And kept, it, it just doesn't work, does it? It doesn't sit that closely together. Whereas pity, compassion, and the nearness, the closeness, the literally scooping up this man and putting him on his donkey, those come really hand in hand. So you know when we're praying, like, Holy Spirit, help me see the lost, help me love those that are around me. There's an assumption, I hadn't realized that, I think there's an assumption in my prayer there of, let me, let me be close, let me be physically close, let me, be, let me draw near to people that I would love to show and extend compassion and mercy and pity to and on. Um, Anyway, he puts him on his donkey and he just goes above and beyond. I mean, the Samaritan, it's just the most extraordinary man. He, he, he goes out of his way. We don't know where he was going, but he took him to an inn. He then, it's like he took ownership. You know, it's like, this is my problem. This is my issue. So do what you need to do, but I'm going to come back because I'm not just passing him off. And then it's like, great, not my problem anymore. On I go. It's like he's taken full accountability. The buck stops with me. This man needs help and I'm the answer. And so he, he demonstrates that with his money, with his time. Um, he, he helps him with, you know, the donkey and taking him from A to B. He, he just is the personification of, um, compassion, isn't he? And Jesus uses him so controversially as the person that, um, that, that demonstrated that. And so what I'm so struck by is that Jesus uses a Samaritan to communicate to the people that were listening a completely different way of understanding the world and understanding personhood. The question starts as, who is my neighbor? Who is the object that I should show compassion and pity on? Who counts? There must be some in, there must be some out. So can you just let me know who counts? Who should I show this to? And Jesus's response, I don't know if you heard it, um, at the end, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who needed it? He doesn't answer by saying, everyone. Who is my neighbor? Everyone. I hear your question. The answer is everyone. He doesn't, he doesn't even satisfy that of like, oh, everyone is in the category that you should come close to, show compassion to, show pity to. Doesn't even answer the question. He flips it. Who was the neighbor? Who was the person that personified and was the walking example of what it actually means to show compassion to those that are around you? Who, who was it? Who, who was the very existence of a neighbor? Not who is your neighbor, who's in, who's out, Oh, everyone. Okay, so everyone. No, it's about us. Am I being a neighbor? It's not about you. Are you my neighbor? Are you? You're kind of close. You're not. It's not about you. It's about me. Am I being a neighbor? Can you see how the question is so fair enough? Who is in? Who is out? And the object of talk, that they're asking is other people. And Jesus says, can we talk about you? You, are you being a neighbor? 
And then, of course, you're being a neighbor to anyone and everyone. That's completely pointless. That doesn't matter, really. I mean, it does. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, like, that's not, that's not the focal point. The audience is not the focal point of who you're being a neighbor to. You are the focal point. Who was the neighbor? Who was being the neighbor? And that is just Jesus, isn't it? Of, like, let me, let me flip what you're saying to actually show the, the almost like the power that you carry to be transformed by the Spirit so that you are, you are a living and breathing neighbor. Everyone is impacted by you because you are being the neighbor. You're not asking who the neighbor is, you're being the neighbor. I find that so extraordinary, so terrifying, so challenging, so like annoying that it's not like, oh, but can you like, is there just a people group that I should pray about and really become concerned for? Or, you know, what, what if I volunteer on that? It, it just, it rips away anything that we might create to be like, oh yeah, I'm doing it. I'm being a neighbor, being a good Samaritan. Because it's not about anyone else. It's about us. It's about you. It's about me. Are we being a neighbor? Um, whew, where am I? Um, So what then happens when Jesus has demonstrated this story? He's used the Samaritan. That's blown their mind anyway. He's turned it on its head. Who was the neighbor is what Jesus says. And um, this man, the the religious expert who was asking these questions in the first, first place, he couldn't even say the Samaritan's name. He knew the answer, right? Like who was the most loving out of those three? Who was the neighbor? Couldn't even say his name and just... Um, I love that he picked up on the character trait as opposed or the, the demonstration of love as opposed to the person. And he just said, the one who had mercy on him. I would love to be described as, oh, what's her name again? Oh, I don't know. But she's the one that has mercy on people. You know, I just would love that. Um, and so then the third and final person that I just want to land with is um, that the Samaritan, I don't know if you noticed, he cleaned his wounds with um, alcohol and he put like an oil on them, which is like a balm. And the alcohol will have been painful because it's like a disinfectant into your wounds and the oil will have been so soothing. And as I was praying and preparing this, I just felt like there were people that, um, to be honest, me as number one on the list, I need a lot of disinfectant from the Holy Spirit right now. I need all of my wounds cleaned. I need to be rechanged and transformed And I also need a lot of oil on my wounds. I need to be looked after by Jesus. I feel like, you know, man down. Um, And I'm just so aware of the food crisis. I'm aware that there are farmers in the room and we're in a lovely heat wave, but there's no rain. I'm aware that I'm just so aware of, of the heaviness of the world and how some of us, me, number one, is like, I just actually need a lot of oil on my wounds, in my heart, and I need a lot of help to get right with God as well. Um, And so that's just the third and final kind of um, person that I just offer for you to reflect on is is actually the victim on the side of the road. Are you just in need of some love and some disinfectant from the Holy Spirit and some healing on your wounds? So should we stand? Um, Let's pray. I'm aware of time, and so... Yeah, it would be good to pray. Dan can come and join. Um, I'm just going to offer the Holy Spirit to come and join us. 
Holy Spirit, come now. Come now by your presence. Holy Spirit, reveal what you need to reveal to us. For those of us that need to be tended to, we need to be looked after. We need like a healing oil or we need to be just sorted out or just reshaped into more of your likeness. Come and do that now by the power of your spirit. Those of us that are so bothered by there not being a right or wrong, a clear in or out, but that it is a transformation of our hearts. That is what you're after. That's what you'll call us into. Come and do that now by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, we pray again. Thank you for that word you've just shared through Beck's. So many reflections in there, so much wisdom. I pray you just right now, as we let's just close with the song, we pray God you'd help that move from our head to our heart, to our gut even. <laughs> Give ourselves to you, God. You know each of us intimately. You know whether we need healing, whether we need challenge, whether we need recommissioning. One things we do is just yeah, express with our body what we're doing in our hearts and our minds and so you may want to just put your hands out to say God I'm open to the work that you would want to do in me Holy Spirit come and change us help us to be more like you the one that showed mercy the one that showed compassion, that drew near, that was with us, that was obedient to the point of death in love for us. Help us to be like that, God. And pray you just deposit in the imagination of each of us in this room what it looks like for us to become a bit more like you. A bit more like the one that showed mercy. Just offer our imaginations to you.
maybe if just aware of time and maybe if you've got uh, kids who are running out and about if you if you want to just stay in this place that's completely fine but if you're free and able to begin to go and grab them this would be the moment to do it <coughs> Oh 